Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Starting off with a quote, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. That quote was from Warren Buffett. And today's guest is a passionate believer in personal development and keeping the sword sharp. He spent 25 plus years practicing what he preaches. Companies like Dell, Oracle, Workday, Zora, and currently he's a vice president at Zendesk and, and a committed CrossFit coach. Right. Ben Johnson, welcome to Coach to Scale. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate you having me on today. It's a, pro- it's a pleasure and an honor. You look CrossFit, man. That's right. I'm ready, man. (laughs) I'm ready to get it. Good to see you. All right. Well, listen, um, I'm excited to have this conversation. I love the perspective, the point of view, and the value system that you bring to the table as a coach and a leader in in this crazy business in uh, technology sales. So let me start off with a question I ask a lot of people, which is, our industry our, our profession is full of different myths. Mm-hmm. Some of them are more prominent than others. But Ben, what's a myth about coaching salespeople or sales leaders that you believe is misguided or, or maybe even a little bit misunderstood? That's a good one to start with. Um, so I'd say one that I heard a lot, especially starting out in my career. And one of the reasons why I was, you know, if I had any uh, hesitancy and in, in taking the leap, it was, hey, you missed two quarters, you're out, right? You missed two quarters of making the number, um, you're no longer going to have, a, you're going to be looking for a new job. And um, I'd love to say that every quarter I've been successful and made the number, but like I said, I've been doing this for 25 years and it doesn't always happen that way. Um, but I think that there's a lot. That's a hundred, that's a hundred quarters, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, fortunately we kind of look at the big picture. I've had more success than not. Uh, otherwise I think I probably would be doing something different, but, um, I, I, I there's a lot more that goes into a, a, a solid salesperson, uh, and or sales leader than just the number. It's an important aspect. That's how we're measured. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into, making a, a, a successful salesperson for the long term. Uh, and that's something that I've learned. And it's some, one of the kind of the core tenets that, you know, uh, a lot of the coaching that we do is really to try to get people to that next level so that they will have long term success. Right. Uh, not necessarily focus on this one quarter, but a career. Right. And, and uh, we had somebody on the show, someone, you know, uh, Pat Galvin, and I think his quote was coach to the career, not the quota, right. uh, you know, right. so, something along those lines. And so that, that myth of, Hey, if you miss two quarters, uh, you, you're, you're not worthy, you're out. Uh, we've all heard that. So the opposite of that is what somebody goes on a performance improvement plan because mm-hmm. their performance needs improvement. Right. 
Sure. If you're not making the quota, your performance needs improvement. So probably many, many, many more people should be on performance improvement plans. However, uh, the, that tool, that development plan is often misused. So somebody goes on a, a PIP, a performance improvement plan. What is the role of the manager of, you know, of the, the coach when that happens? This may sound controversial, but it's to make sure that they make it through that performance improvement plan, that they, uh, the tenants that we put on there, right? That's the number of meetings, whatever it happens to be that, you know, we don't just put it on a piece of paper and say, Hey, you're, you're not meeting expectations. You need to do these things. A good coach, uh, a good leader is going to try to guide that rep or that manager, whoever they happen to be, uh, coach them up so that they can hit those metrics so that they can learn from the challenges that they've been facing on a, you know, uh, a, a day in and day out perspective. Right. So um, I think the goal is to, to coach them through that plan and ideally have them come out the side, the other side, a better sales representative so that they can add value to the company and the culture. Right. Why is that controversial? Um, you know, I think because in a lot of cases, Matt, we don't, the PIP ends up being the last resort. And a lot of times when, you know, I'll talk to my managers and they're like, I'm, you know, I've had it with this rep. They're just not listening. They're not, I'm like, well, what have you done? Right. Like, have you coached them up? Have you been on calls with them and given them real time feedback on things they could be uh, doing differently? Um, Things that they should have, or things that they, they should have thought about uh, in preparation for the call, right? Or things that they're going to do after the call to improve their position, right? Those are all things that I think that, you know, if we're not always providing that real-time feedback, you know, and not getting the results that we're looking for, I think the PIP is a lot of cases viewed as a punitive tool uh, as opposed to a coach, coaching tool. Right, and I think Last, that, that nail you know, in the coffin. Right. 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 It's the yeah. last resort. It's a nail in the coffin. I want to work them out of the business. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, did you invest the time with them uh, to ensure that they would be successful? Right. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a you know, even I think sales reps think about it uh, through a negative lens. And, you know, in the situation where we've had to go there with reps, I'm, I make it very clear to them. This is not us trying to work you out of the business. It's us trying to help you. Uh, improve your performance so that you will find success so that you will be a value added member of this sales right. team. Right. That that's the ultimate goal. Right. Um, and, and so and, go ahead. Yeah. So what, what is the role of the rep? What is the role of the individual contributor, the person who is on the performance improvement plan? Mm-hmm. To be to be coachable, I think, is the, the number one thing to really take a hard look at what is their plan? Do they have a plan? Right. Do they have a documented successful plan? Or if they don't feel like they have that plan, have they reached out for help? Are they a lone wolf? Are they looking for a mentor? What are they doing to sharpen their sword so that they can find long term success? Those are questions that I'm asking It's like, you know. What's driving you? What is your why? Right. What what gets you up every morning? Right. Those are the things that I want to kind of understand to really know if um, I've got an individual that is going to be successful in the role. And I think, you know, 
we've both been doing this long enough. I think we, you kind of get a gut feel for those that, you know, are 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 driven internally uh, and have a motivation to why they're doing things and those that just aren't going to be a good fit. They're not willing to be coached, um, you know, and I think, you know, I've been wrong in some cases, but more often than not, you can tell after a couple of conversations what, what path you're heading down. You talked about, Ben, you talked about performance improvement plans being perceived as onerous by the mm-hmm. person who, by both the, the manager and the rep, let's say, but, but focusing specifically on the rep, the rep believes the performance improvement plan is, is onerous, but oftentimes reps believe that getting coaching from their manager is onerous mm-hmm. also. Right. Well, so it sounds like coaching needs a rebranding. What does coaching mean to you? It, it, I, I think you, we, you know, we, we, we throw the cliche around often, but it's, it's sharpening our sword. It's improving our performance. It's helping, it's doing the things that we need to do um, to help us reach the, 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 the tactical and strategic goals that we want to reach. That's what coaching is all about. And it's got to be woven into every aspect of what we're doing, right? As sales leaders, as sales reps, you know, I, I, I can't be, I should not be afraid to ask for help. And I think that's the first problem a lot of people have. They, they, there's this perception, I'm a professional sales rep. I work at Zendesk. It's a billion dollar organization. I, you know, if I ask my manager a question about a deal, um, you know, I'm, I'm showing vulnerability or I'm showing that maybe I'm just not as uh, well versed in this particular area as I need to be. And that's okay. Right. Nobody knows everything. Everybody should be constantly trying to learn. Right. And evolve their craft. And the only way to do that is to be open to coaching. Right. And for to, to ensure that from a leadership perspective, it's driven from the top down that that coaching culture. Right. If it's not driven from the top down, it's not going to work. And that's where I see a lot of where we do have challenges, um, you know, is when we can't find that common language in the organization where, yeah. you know, whether the rep is talking to the customer or we're doing a deal review they know the questions that they should be asking the que- the customer, you know, whether that's, you know, what have you tried before to solve this problem? Who's the economic buyer? All those kinds of things. You pick the, the, the sales methodology. Um, if we don't have a common language and how we're talking internally and externally, that's usually where in my mind, coaching seems to fall down a lot. Okay. Okay. So it starts from the top. It's a culture, right? The, the op- you know, the opposite is a bad culture. The opposite of a good culture is a bad culture. Fish rots from the head, all that stuff. So you're talking about building a culture now and it's the culture that allows people to realize that, Hey, I don't have to be a lone wolf. I don't mm-hmm. need to know it. I can, I, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask to help, ask for help um, from others. Um, yes. And you talked about the importance of a common language and methodology as one key element of a coaching culture. It's hard to build a culture. What, what are some other key points or key elements? So it's hard to build a culture. It's even harder now in this, in this virtual wor- world, right? Uh, I think the, the, the other element is to make sure that as we are, you know, preparing for any meeting, like, you know, w- what is the pre-work that we're going to do? Right. And, and there should be a prescribed methodology on how we're going to go about doing that. Right. 
What are we going to do after? What are the expectations that we're going to set for ourselves and for the customer during the meeting? And then what is the follow up action? Right. There should be a very consistent and repeatable process there. Right. Uh, that's implemented not only from the top down, but to the frontline managers and then down to the reps that in any given day, in any given opportunity, uh, there should not be any ambiguity. Every deal is a little bit different. Right. And the nuances, that's where the coaching comes in. That's where we have the the discussions. Right. That's why we do the prep calls. Right. That's why we do the post uh, meeting calls to discuss those nuances. These are the differences we weren't expecting that, right? We weren't expecting that individual to come with this objection. Now, what are we going to do about it, right? It's 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 a very fluid process, right? And one that you know, as much as we try to layer um, you know a framework around it, we've also got to be adaptable, right? And, and so, I think those are the key components there. And, and what I hear you talking about there is is it's preparation, right? Mm-hmm. And and I know, for example, uh, Sandler. Uh, you know, 20 something years ago, I was first introduced to Sandler in 2002. And remember, and remember hearing that um, there's, there's three parts to the sales meeting. There's the, there's the prep meeting, mm-hmm. there's the meeting itself, and then there's mm-hmm. the debrief. And right. those three together equals one meeting, which means if you're, if you're, it's a three legs to the, to the stool. But oftentimes, um, as salespeople, we're practicing inside the game. We're practicing on the call. We didn't do a prep and we don't do a debrief. How right. does the prep and the debrief help uh, not only build a culture of excellence, mm-hmm. but also drive uh, more, more focus and help improve the skills of the individual and the team? Yep. So I, I think it's a great question. I think the, 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 the prep, I think, especially for, for some of our, our newer sales reps and even folks that have been around the block a few times is really kind of understanding what is the opportunity, right? Um, you know, what is our competition landscape? How are we going to differentiate ourselves? And I think it's also a great opportunity uh, to practice the pitch so that it, it comes off very, very smoothly, very cleanly. Everybody's playing their part. Everybody's playing their role we're thinking about some of the objections that we know we're going to hear because we've heard them 30 times before. How are we going to uh, address that objection? Or are we just going to go full frontal and say, Here, here's what we believe you know, uh, the, the, the other organizations are saying, this is why we are different, right? It kind of calms the nerves, sets the stage. It doesn't sound like it's the first time we're saying it when we get in front of the customers, right? Um, the, the, the debrief is, Again, even if we do believe it went flawlessly, there should be something that there's probably always something that we always can something, yeah. always something. Right. And so if we're doing it honestly and if we're doing it, you know, with intention, there should be something that services that says we should probably we probably should have done that a little bit differently. Right. Uh, so that when we go do it the next time, you know, we, we thought through that and we've gotten just a little bit better. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, pick you know, pick your favorite football team. Uh, the team wins forty nine to nothing. They will, they mm-hmm. spend the same amount of time watching film, breaking right. down what they did well and what they could have done better. It, it doesn't matter if they won forty nine to nothing or or lost forty nine to nothing. And um, I think that's something that that we miss a lot. Is you know, I think we do a good job on the prep. We do a good job in a lot of cases. Sometimes better than others during the meeting. I think in a lot of cases, because we are, we're moving so fast, we're in this Zoom world, 
Uh, I try to be as intentional as possible um, about, you know, the, the post-meeting meeting, right? St spinning up a Zoom right after the call to say, okay, let's talk through what are our next steps, what could we have done better. I, I, I can't remember who it was on one of your other uh, podcasts, but he mentioned the, the quick email after the meeting. And that's something that I've actually incorporated in. Like I'll be taking notes. And then even if I'm on my way to the airport, I've got my phone. I'll just type in a couple of quick notes. You know, yeah. hey, we let's think about this. We probably could have done this a little bit better. And it's it's been very effective. And, and you know, oddly enough, uh, both managers and the reps are responding well to it. So oh, it's, uh, like I said, you can always learn something from somebody. <laughs> yeah, you have to be open to it, right? That, that's right. a that's a mindset. Uh, that's coachability. Uh, it's the long game, though, Ben. Right? Coaching, you know, you hear a lot of a lot of people say, "I don't have time." Right? The the pressure's never been greater mm -hmm. on um, on the the CRO and that all the way on down. Right? So that that yeah. pressure is felt by lots. Uh, what you're talking about, uh, you know, success doesn't happen overnight so how do you find well, how do you find the time or why is the juice worth the squeeze so again i it, it you have to make the time right it, it, it's important because that's the only way the business is going to be successful yes you know in any given quarter in any given year there's going to be external challenges that come up right there's going to be new product innovation that we need to put into it right but we can never lose sight of the coaching aspect of it, because that's the only way our reps are going to thrive. Right. And so and, and, and it, 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 it look, I've been doing this for a long time and, it, and you're right. It seems like we'll we'll do some trainings at the beginning of the quarter. Right. We're, we want people to really focus on, you know, whatever that training is, you know, incorporated into all of our sales notes and all that stuff. And then we'll get into a point in the quarter where it's like, OK, we need as much revenue as possible. And all that's thrown out of the window. <laughs> and it's like, right. you know, survival of the fittest. And it's like, where I've seen us have the most success and, you know, in, you know, any, I think Workday was probably the best company where I saw it because of the length of time that sales cycles actually lasted. Mm. It was all about consistency of effort, right? Right. It was about what are we doing to change the game? How are we, how are we differentiating ourselves from the competition? You know, how often are we engaging with our prospects? Right. And, whether you close the deal within a quarter or not, as long as you were doing those things and you were able to articulate it uh, well uh, and making some incremental progress, that was good enough for the workday culture, right? Because we were trying to displace some pretty large competitors, right? And that doesn't happen overnight, but they never lost sight of that, right? And, and, and coaching from the top down was what it was all about. Quarter in, quarter out, QBRs, one-on-ones, um, all that was, it was always focused on how are we improving our position? And, uh, you know, I think if a lot of other companies kind of took that tact, they would see long-term success. And hey, Workday's still doing really well out there, you know? <laughs> so, so then I, I love that point because I, I, the managers that, that I coach, the leaders that, that I work with struggle when they see let's say a rep who, who's not hitting target, not hitting quota. Mm -hmm. And let's say they put them on a performance plan. The question always is when, when do I have to pull the ripcord on this person? Mm -hmm. Like when, when, when are they just not going to make it? When do I make that decision? And it sounds like what you're saying is as long as they're making progress in mm -hmm. the right direction, as long as they're coachable, as long as they're trying and they're 
trending up and to the right, you stick with that person. And it's the person who mentally gives up, the person who is the roller coaster, the person the whose roller. effort is inconsistent. Mm-hmm. That's where the problems come in. That's, that's where the problem is in my mind. The bulls in the china shop, right? The very inconsistent ones, the ones that are not coachable, right? Those are the ones that I really have a challenge with. You know, I think for those that, for whatever reason, it's just not clicking. Yeah, at some point, the question actually becomes, you know, why are they staying, right? Because again, none of us are here for just the base salary. We're looking for that upside, right? And so, you know, as I, you know, if we're going two, three, four quarters and it's just not clicking, that's where, you know, from a coaching and mentorship perspective, that's where my mind goes is, hey, you know, Matt, like it's been four quarters. Like, are you happy? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Like, (laughs) what is your long term goal? Right. (laughs) You know, and 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 oftentimes I bet we oftentimes I bet you find out when you ask that question, they don't have one. They don't have a long term goal. No, they don't. That's part of the problem. So, Ben, coming back to it, though, this whole thing of uh, to some people is like, yeah, you know, that's a pie in the sky, right? This coaching, this development of people, personal development, keeping my sword sharp. It's like people are like, yeah, that sounds great in an ideal world. I don't live in that world. I don't have time. How do you make the time? And I, I've heard of you in the past. You, you always had this mantra of, uh, you know, um, must do's and how to's. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I think that's, you know, the good way to kind of look at it. We've got to make the time like, yeah, we time is limited. That's that's our most valuable asset. And we've got to figure out how to manage it. Um, and, and so when you look at th- things through the lens of, you know, must do's and how to's, the must do's, updating Salesforce, right? You know, number of meetings, right? Um, you know, you know, pipeline generation, right? Those are you know, all, you know, do it, completing the trainings that, that are assigned to you in a timely fashion. Those are all kind of table stakes for the job, right? Uh, and things that we generally, we all have expectations that must be done. And so one of the things that I like to do is be very, very clear on what those things are, reiterate them as many times as I possibly can, because one of the things that, you know, I talk to my leaders about all the time, my, my, my frontline managers and even reps when we're doing all hands calls. I like the coaching. I like the, the mentoring. I like going and getting in front of your customers, right, to help them solve their business challenges. I don't necessarily want to, you know, if you will, manage you and ask you why you haven't updated your Salesforce notes, right? And Babysitting. Babysitting, right? I don't want to babysit you. I want to help you grow. I want to help you learn. But if I always am being pulled back by my manager going, hey, forecast is supposed to be submitted on Thursday. Why are these five reps? Why haven't they submitted? Right. That that That's something that drives me batty. And so uh, from a how to's perspective, or excuse me, a, a must do's perspective, I make it very clear on what that list of things are. And then that opens up a lot more times, a lot more time for us to focus on the how to's, right? You know, how do we deliver that value proposition uh, with excellence, right? How do we objection handle, right? How do we get to the economic buyer? Let us focus on, let us focus together on those things and not the basic blocking and tackling, right? And yeah. and I think, you know, the more we can be clear, crystal clear, like so that there's no ambiguity around it, like, you know, because I think when you do that, 
when it doesn't happen, you can go, you got the memo, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, what, you're, what happened there, right? <laughs> you're, you're saying it a lot nicer than uh, a former uh, friend and colleague, Jim Sieve, when uh-huh. he talked about what the table stakes right. are, of, like updating <laughs> CRM and all of that, right? Right, yeah, right. right. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 nothing drives me badder. As a matter of fact, I was landing in Madison, Wisconsin uh, two weeks ago. And sure enough, I get a, a slack from my manager. She's showing me the Salesforce report. She's like, she's babysitting you. This is supposed to be done three weeks ago. It, but she was pointing it out from a rep, right? And I just, I said, I, I I can't make any excuses for the individual. I own it. I'll fix it. And, you know, that's a convert. I'm like, you know, when I had to have the discussion with the rep, I'm like, um, there were three emails, a couple of slacks. I remind you in all hands, what happened here? And, you know, it, it, it you know, doesn't matters not what the answer was, but those are the things that, again, you know, I think if you have an always on coaching culture, there's always going to be anomalies like that. But I think you can minimize that and really focus on the task at hand and, and, and making sure that everybody is up leveling. When you talk about culture, though, I think it does matter what the answer to that is. Because if the answer is some BS excuse, right? right? You know, the corporate salute, like, oh, the system stinks or this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh like that, yeah that's a problem. I mean, that if it's anything other than it, it has to be the same response you had to your boss. Right. No excuses. I own, I got it. It. I own, I own it. it. Right. Yeah. Everybody's got to own it at their level. But let's, talk, I want to talk about that because I had this conversation with somebody the other day, yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Someone, they, they have somebody on their team that, has the talent, but is toxic, is an excuse maker, is negative, mm-hmm. and they're a senior person. And we were talking about how you deal with that. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with somebody whose performance, by the way, is inconsistent? Uh-huh. And on top of that, they're a senior person and they're just making, they're breaking glass and making more work and not getting the, the hygiene done, the stuff that needs to get done, mm-hmm. done the must-dos, which impedes this manager's ability to work with his team on the how-tos. And how-tos, the right. How do you do that? How do you have that conversation with that person? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. It's, I think it's more challenging, you know, when it's that individual and they're a top performer, that makes it a little bit harder, right? Because they're like, they're generating the revenue, but they're, they're toxic to the culture, right? Um, if they are inconsistent and there are things that I can point to like their response when I call them out on why you haven't done those things like pipeline generation, like making the number, you know, with all that documented, I can go to them and say, Hey, look, I mean, we've got a problem here. And like, you're in a position where you're a senior member of the team where, you know, you could actually be helping the leadership team in bringing everybody up a level but you're kind of going in a different direction. And here are the examples, right? Um, the examples. You know, so you're using specifics. How you're engaging with your partner organization, your SEs, your professional services team, right? Um, you know, legal, right? A lot of people, <laughs> you know, and I've seen over time, um, you know, have a sense that these partner organizations work for them. And that's one thing I'll always call people out on is, they don't work for you. They're, they're your partners, right? They're helping you progress these deals. You've got to address them as such, right? Especially if you want them to move fast, right? <laughs> um, and, and so like being able to provide very specific and concrete examples 
of when the behavior was a little out of sync, uh, where activity wasn't uh, at the right level, um, where consistently we've asked you know you to do certain things as far as keeping things updated and it hasn't happened. You know, there, there's not many answers they can give other than, hey, I'm going to work to fix it. Right. And then from there, we're going to document that conversation. And then I want to see improvement. So, if I don't see the so, improvement, we've got a problem. So if they, if they and what if they say, oh, I'm going to work, I'm going to work on that. And and then they don't. Do you have do you have a candid conversation that says, oh. hey, we've had this conversation a couple of times before. What's mm-hmm. going to change now? I mean, how direct do you get? I always end, and and uh, I got this from from Blair Tolbard. Deeds, not words. You can tell me whatever you want, and I tell a lot of customers this. You don't know me from Adam, so ideally, my deeds will back up the words that I'm telling you, and 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 I leave a lot of reps with that or managers at the end of conversations. Deeds, not words. Tell me whatever you want. I need to see it. If I don't see it, we're going to have a more frank and candid conversation. Uh, up and into uh, separation of employment. If it if it starts getting really bad, like I, um, I've got a pretty long fuse. I think uh, probably you know some people probably say too long, especially in this business. Uh, but even for me, at some point, you know, they, they reach the end of the fuse, and 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 yeah. I'm never going to uh, yell. I'm not a yeller or a screamer, but I'm going to say, hey, we've had this conversation enough times. Um, you know, I've got no choice, right? Yeah. You, you put me in a position where. I can't defend the indefensible anymore. <laughs> and that's usually that's how that conversation ends is you've put me in a position where I cannot defend the indefensible anymore. And I've told you what those things are. You've told me you're going to correct them and you haven't. And most people um, get it. And most people yeah. don't want to be part of the problem. They, they don't, they often don't know. And so the, this continued uh, work, this continued, uh, not adhering to what needs to be done is mm-hmm. oftentimes they're just oblivious and someone needs to hit them between the eyeballs with the reality and the consequences of what they're doing. And I love the, the, the Blair shout out, you know, act in non verba, like deeds, yeah, not words. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. Yeah. So, um, you know, you talk about self-development, uh, personal mm-hmm. development and keeping the sword sharp. When you're interviewing people, when you're promoting people in the organization, how do you determine who's invested in themselves or not? Is, uh, is that something you focus on and is it important? Absolutely. Uh, it's actually a, a direct question I ask, you know, you know, as, as it relates to personal development or what do you do when you're not selling software? What are the things that you like to do? And I'll listen for the answer. Right. It's, you know. And what I'm looking for is, yeah, some something, whether it's, um, you know, some sort of personal development. I like to read these specific kind of books. Right. Um, these are things that I do on the weekend. You know, it could be mental. It could be physical. Just something that lets me know that, you know, they're trying to be a well-rounded individual. Right. How but deep think- do you go? Like, so, so uh, I, someone says, oh, I read, you know, uh, you know, this book and that book. And, you know, I, I watch this podcast religiously. I mean, do you mm-hmm. drill in? Do you say, oh, wow. Yeah, I like that, too. Like, what, what do you, what's the number one thing you took away? What's from the, what resonated with you? Right. Yeah. yeah. To see, like, how intently were they listening? Right. Yeah. Because I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've learned uh, as a manager and it, Matt, it became more apparent to me as a, a second line leader than a frontline manager, because, you know, as a frontline manager, 
you know, when things got down with five or six reps, you know, as much as you don't want to be the super rep, you could kind of latch on to a couple of reps, become the super rep and, and try to get there. You can't do that with 30 or 40 people. Uh, right. You can't do that. So one of the things that I've found to be very important is like, I need people that are internally motivated, right? I need people that, um, you know, have a passion for this job, right? Uh, have a bigger purpose than themselves as they're doing the job, right? That, that's driving them to do it, right? Because, you know, I can externally motivate them by saying, hey, the, you know, by being a good example, and I'm definitely going to do that. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And I try to find multiple ways and examples to be able to demonstrate that. Um, but then I, you know, but that's, there's only so much I can do there, right? It, it, if there, if an individual is not, uh, internally motivated, then more often than not, they're not going to be long-term successful in this job. Um, Especially, I think, now when we're in a situation where people aren't in the office, right? There's there's a lot of opportunity to do things other than focusing on calling customers, right? So it it becomes about that that, that self-drive, that integrity and character, right? And, you know, at some point, if those things aren't happening, they, they, they surface themselves. Right. And that, you know, allows us to kind of really start digging in on where the problem is. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I spend a lot of time focusing on that. I make recommendations to my team on things that, you know, because, again, there's a lot of information out there. Not everybody can afford to go see Tony Robbins live and pay thousands of dollars. A lot of that stuff is available on YouTube. There's, you know, Pick up the book, right? You know, spend 20 minutes in the morning when you're on your treadmill listening to these things. It's amazing how it changes your psyche and your mindset uh, and and really starts to develop that, you know, I've got to own it. If, I, if, it, if it's to be, it's up to me. And I think that's the main thing a lot of people need to realize. Hey, by the way, does it, uh, do you listen for stuff outside of work like hey i listened to this you know i went to tony robbins seminar or you know i read you know how to win friends and influence people or you know whatever it, i mean what what if they're radical candor what are your top three books what are your top three personal development books oh i ask yeah but what, what if they go down like hey i i you know i'm a i'm a gardener and i you know and they go deep and talk about how they have bettered themselves and how they focus there and how it provides mental clarity. Like, does it always have to be work-related in terms of- It, it doesn't, it doesn't. No, it could, it could be CrossFit, you know, that's, a, that's another area, right? It could be, it could be yoga, like anything that, you know, really kind of helps you, you know, develop a level of clarity uh, on why you're doing what you're doing. It doesn't have to be sales-related, right? A lot of the, you know, you listen to a lot of, you know, you know, the personal development folks that are out there, Les Brown and those folks, it's, it's not always from a sales slant. It's about just yeah. generally, life. right. It's about life. It's, it's about, about life. life. How do you manage life? Right. I think, you know, uh, you know, how do you deal with adversity? And one thing's for certain uh, in the, in the career path we've, we've chosen, there's a lot of adversity that we deal with. And if you don't figure out a mechanism to handle that well, it's going to be miserable for you and for the people that you're working with and for, right? Let's, let's, um, let's jump into that word adversity. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you a very specific question about it because you've always been a person then that was that had the mantra, give me the bad news, bad, get, get the bad news early. 
-hmm. And there is adversity equals bad news about, you know, the forecast, the deal, like there's a lot of different ways, but with vis-a-vis the forecast, um, why is it important to get the bad news early and what is preventing that from becoming institutionalized in every sales team in the world? Because still to this day, the vast majority (laughs) choose to have the happy ears at at multiple levels and stick their head in their sands. And these are bad people that are doing this. These are very good professional, intentional, uh, well-meaning people. Why? It's, it's, it's the age old question. And it's, it's, it's funny you say that because it's, it's exactly what happens, right? It seems like the bad news uh, or whatever you want to call it, or what I, what I always like to say is that the truth actually starts to come out as uh, more and more as the quarter starts to wane away, right? <laughs> ben, the real truth it, of what it, is, the forecast, on. we're a little tight, we're yeah. metal on metal, you know, uh, good news and bad news, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, you start That's to listen like, and hear them, yeah. Yeah, you you heard them all, right? And and so the the reason why it's important to get the news out on the table early is it gives us an opportunity to either react or release, right? Maybe we shouldn't be involved in this opportunity anymore, right? Maybe we should let it go and and decide to amicably amicably part ways before you know we get into a situation where oh we're just going to end up losing anyway, right? Yeah. Um, but in the situation where we do feel like we have a good shot, you know, the longer we sit on that piece of information, one for fear of, oh, I'm going to have to ask for a bigger discount or I don't think we will do this um, or I'm not sure how we could accommodate that contractually. Well, that's from your perspective and point of view. If we put the objection on the table, maybe somebody in the organization has seen something like this before and we can do something about it. If you wait till the last day of the quarter, right, I've got no time to respond. Right. So like it's it's too late then. It's um even when you think back to, you know, um and I, I I'm I'm guilty of this too. I distinctly remember one time I was a rep uh, back at Oracle and I, I went and I went and knocked on uh Jeff Perry's door. I said, Jeff, these guys are not calling me back. They told me they had the PO, you know, can you call the CFO? Uh, and ask him what the deal is. <laughs> he said, "Well, what do you want?" This me is to Jeff say? Perry from Virginia, not from, Jeff Perry from Virginia. From California, from Virginia. Right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, "What do you want me to say to him?" Uh, well, I want you to ask him where the deal is. He's like, "Ben, I've never talked to the guy before." He's like, "I'm pretty good at what I do, but I don't have an S on my chest, right?" So that's you, a you don't have the as, as uh, again, Pat Calvin would say, "You don't have the magic beans." Exactly, exactly. So it's like if if you want to leverage your executive. Uh, to help you get a deal across the line, probably behooves you to get that executive in front of that senior leader six weeks before you get to closure at the forefront of the deal cycle, just so that there can be a relationship and rapport starting to develop. Right. But, you know, back to your point around, you know, why does it not happen? I, I think that, you know, look, I mean, y- y- you mentioned it earlier there's a lot of pressure to perform everybody's got this number in mind that they want to hit. And, you know, I think in a lot of cases we don't necessarily want to talk about the elephant in the room because then that kind of lets us know, well, we're probably going to struggle this quarter. 
And inevitably, when we think we're going to struggle for the quarter, we typically end up struggling for the quarter, right? Whereas if maybe we talked about it a little bit more, and we were a little bit more open to discussing what those challenges are, right? And, and trying to bring in the right resources uh, to move the deal forward or the, the, you know, the business forward, not about the deals themselves, but I think we, you know, we'd find ourselves in a better place, right? Um, yeah. Incrementally so, so anyway, right? But to your point, a lot of people just don't want to talk about it early in the quarter, right? Even late in the quarter, it's like, well, why didn't we talk about it early in the quarter? It's like, I, I, I tried to, but like nobody wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, then it's the then it's the excuse. I, I tried to, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't, yeah. Right, so right, I get right, it. right, right. So Ben, we spent some time learning from you uh, and your many years uh, in this business. Uh, let's learn a little bit about you. Um, mm. What? What's an important lesson? It doesn't have to be the most, but what's an important lesson that comes to mind uh, in terms of uh, what you've learned about coaching and leading people? Wow, man, that's a that's a big one. Um, I I think that you know I think great leaders. I think one one of the things that makes them great is being great coaches. Have the having the genuine desire to see others succeed, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that is probably one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned that it's, it's not about me. It's about that servant leadership. It's about, you know, looking at the, the team um, that you've either hired or inherited, figuring out what's important to each one of those individuals, right? Um, trying to figure out what motivates them, what inspires them and find opportunities uh, to, uh, highlight those, right? To celebrate their wins, to coach them through their losses, right? And 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 that doesn't happen overnight. That's a big investment of time and energy. And in a in a in a time when time is limited, to spend that extra time to really get to know an individual or a group of individuals and try to build that culture of accountability. Uh not only accountability, but vulnerability, not being afraid to again bring that bad news forward for fear that Ben's going to flip out. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm going to flip out if you don't tell me about it until I can't do anything about it. If you tell yeah, me about it, it, when it happens, right? We'll, we'll talk about it and we'll figure it out. That 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 makes me happy, right? Good. Um, but but just being flexible and adaptable, open and vulnerable. I think those are some of the things that you know I think are overlooked in some sales cultures, but it's it's critical to the success of the sales organization uh, having those key components. Um, and speaking of sales organizations, you're now leading a, a big team at, at Zendesk. Um, I think you've been there for five plus years now, right? Five years, over five yeah. years now. Yeah. All right. So uh, for those who don't know a little bit, what does Zendesk do? And then uh, secondly, you've stayed there for five years. You, you obviously like something about it. What do you love most about what yeah. you're doing at Zendesk? Yep. So uh, Zendesk is a customer service and support platform. So, you know, you think about the little chat widget that's down at the bottom of your screen on any website. If you need to return your Nikes, uh, more often than not, you're interacting with Zendesk solutions uh, to help you through that experience. Um, you know, so, yeah, I've been here for, for five plus years now. And, you know, I started back at Zendesk uh, when we were just south of 400 million in revenue. And I think we're uh, you know, now we're private, so who knows? But I know we're a little, we're we're about one and a half billion dollar organization. And one of the things I, I, you know, that instantly excited me here is that, you know, I feel like 
I've always been part of something, part of building something here where, uh, you know, my opinion, my thoughts, my experiences, um, uh, you know, were important to the organization. They, they solicited my opinion and feedback, whereas, you know, unlike at home, unlike at home, unlike at home, (laughs) exactly right. They're like, no, this is how we're going to do it. Right. You know, in some larger organizations, um, you know, you're, you you just kind of become a number and it is what it is. Right. You yeah. just kind of make it, you know, you got to just march to the beat of the drum. And that's one thing I've really loved about Zendesk is um, I really feel like uh, I've been an integral part of getting the company to where it is today. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, you know, I'm still here is because I helped establish it. it it's like part of me now. Right. It's like it's ingrained in me now. And I, I want to continue to see it be successful um, uh, and, and and watch it grow. Right. And it has it, the only thing constant has changed. I mean, that applies at Zendesk. It, it's, oh, yeah. it, it's been a we, an interesting journey, but yet the culture sure. is still awesome. You still feel part of it. Um, and, and it's in your, it's in your blood and being part of it and feeling like your opinion matters. Sounds like, it's contributed to your longevity there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, that 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 it, uh, is absolutely the truth. Um, hmm. um, you know, again, I've, I've I've learned a lot of valuable lessons. You know, I made the transition from frontline manager to second line manager, and you know, uh, you know, f- moving from rep to frontline manager was indeed a transition. Um, you know, it, it, and I did that at Oracle. As a matter of fact, I think under your leadership, as a matter of fact. Uh, so that was awesome. Uh, and then, you know, moving from, uh, you know, front line to second line here, I had to actually basically, you know, recreate, you know, pretty much every not everything, but a lot of how I approach my day to day. Right. Um, yeah. It was less about kind of the, the tactical, the deals. It was thinking big picture, right. Thinking two or three quarters ahead thinking about how I'm going to motivate and inspire these folks, right? Uh, and continue to lead from the front um, in a much larger organization, right? Um, and if I remember correctly, you also made the transition from pre-sales sales consultant to salesperson even before that, right? Absolutely. So uh, you, yeah, you've absolutely. made a lot of transitions, you've evolved. And I think keeping that sword sharp and investing mm-hmm. in yourself this has helped you do that. Like you said, you had to recreate yourself mm-hmm. probably each uh, each step along the way. People who are passionate about coaching and developing others are often the be- uh, the benefactor uh, of good coaching. They had it mm-hmm. modeled for them. Ben, mm-hmm. tell us about a time where somebody uh, w- had an impact on your life and mm-hmm. your career in some way, shape, or form because of their coaching and their interest that they took in you. So um, it's uh, an interesting segue because you mentioned, uh, you know, when I started at Oracle um, back in 1999, I started as an SE. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I um, I guess I had the sales bone in my blood because my, my dad was a salesperson. Uh, so I got a lot of coaching and advice okay. from him. Um, and, and I, you know, I didn't have any experience in sales. And so it was difficult for me to make the transition uh, from you know, more of a post-sales technical background into a sales role. Um, but um, an opportunity was presented for, to me to become an SC at Oracle. And, you know, um, you know, that was through uh, Blair Tolbert. We, we mentioned him earlier. And I made it one pretty of the clear. Best. One of the best. One of the best in the business. Um, and I made it pretty clear to him 
that ultimately my goal was to become a sales rep. And he, he said, noted. And, you know, I continued to uh, watch him in action uh, in managing and leading his team. Right. I continued to ask him for advice on how I should begin to make the transition into uh, a sales role. And um, he took me under his wing and he, he walked me through the process. He wasn't, um, you know, he didn't, he made time for me. And that, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I'm mindful of. Somebody made time for me. So I owe it to the next person to make time for them. If they are genuinely interested, if they are showing up and have a thirst for how to get better, how to improve my, my performance, all those things, then it's incumbent on me to invest in them. Right. Because somebody did it for me yeah. and they didn't have to. Right. And, and, and Blair guided me through that entire process all the way up to the point of, you know, he actually uh, brokered a, a meeting between myself and probably one of the most terrifying but, but great experiences I ever, ever had in my life meeting with Ted Bear as well. He flew me down to Houston, sat down with him and I basically interviewed. And Blair set that up, right? Another uh, great, yeah, another, another great, great individual. May rest in peace. Great, you know, uh, great person. And look, I, I don't remember everything Ted said to me, but I remember, you know, I left motivated. I left encouraged. But guess what? I didn't get the job. <laughs> um, and and so at that point, talking about coaching and mentoring, Blair was honest with me. He's like, I don't, I don't want to see you leave Oracle. But I think we've done everything we can do here for now uh, to get you into a sales role. You might have to look outside of the company if this is something you really want to do. And, you know, I had thought about it, but I just kind of also kind of felt bad about the amount of time that Blair had invested in me. And I was just kind of on the fence. And it was it was interesting. He actually I won't say gave me permission, but he opened that door for me. And that's what I ultimately ended up doing, right? I left the company, got my sales stripes at Dell, right? Um, and, and you know, stayed in touch with Blair and the network there at Oracle. And when the opportunity presented itself, I came back, right? And the rest is history, history from there, right? Um, but it was because, you know, Blair, one, took, took a, a, a chance on me. He saw something yeah. in that original interview Right. Because I didn't have uh, much Oracle experience, had some database experience, but not Oracle. So he took a flyer on me. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you have to have somebody in your corner like that, that, you know, you, you, well, first, I think you've got to do the preparation. You've got to show up. Yeah. You've got to have the drive and ambition. And then if somebody sees that uh, and, and, and latches onto it, man, you know, the, the, the doors are wide open. You can go anywhere. Right. But it's the law of attraction, right? It's the law of attraction, right? You've got to want it. You've got to demonstrate consistently that you want it. And the rest tends to work out for itself. Awesome. Ben, you've seen a lot. And this this business has changed a lot. What's one of those crazy stories from the past (laughs) that that we uh, that people, you know, just coming into this need to hear about? Oh man. Um, and it's, it's funny. I, I thought of one where, and I don't know if it would even fly today. One, I don't think people have newspapers anymore. You might've been present for this. I was in SC and we were, I wasn't, down. I wasn't there. Nope. Wasn't you you might've been, I think you were, <laughs> but it, it wasn't you that perpetuated or did this, but you might've been in the meeting room with us, but I, we were in uh, St. Pete at the Benoit 
uh, at a sales meeting uh, and, and uh, Joe DeBartolomeo was the leader at the time. And Joe I think did. we were having yeah. a tough quarter. Another great man. And this was, you know, uh, at the advent of sales, so, cell phones. And so he's like, everybody's cell phone off. I want everybody to be paying attention. You know, you know, I want you straight ahead and focused. And I guess he didn't like what he saw because a lot of people were still kind of like, ah, you know, out in the hallway, reading their newspapers. He left the stage, went out and said some things I can't repeat on this podcast to get everybody in the room. And then he literally, I think there were about a couple hundred people in the room. Uh, and he walked up and down each row, collected everybody's newspapers, took everything so that I guess in his mind, everybody would re- really be focused in. He got everybody's attention, <laughs> but it was it was it was it was uh, definitely like, whoa, <laughs> the, the functional equivalent of collecting everybody's cell phones these days. Exactly. Right? He didn't yeah. take their cell phones, but he took their newspapers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he wasn't above taking their cell phones if he thought that's what needed to be done either. Of, of all the Joe D stories that um, that we could tell that have had an impact on on us, you found one that was actually, uh, you know, G-rated. So Yeah, well, uh, exactly. I tried to keep it G-rated. <laughs> I got a lot more, but that one was G-rated for sure. But it was it definitely had an impact on me. And and like you said, I, you know, uh, a tactic, you know, and everybody's got their tactics. Um, but it, it it definitely has left a lasting impression on me. Ben, last question. What advice do you have for the person who's grinding away, mm-hmm. you know, wants to make an impact? But for whatever reason, he or she's not getting the support. They're not getting the development. They feel more like an, an, uh, a name or a no, like a number mm-hmm. rather than uh, a valued part of the team. And, and, and just like it's sink or swim. And it's not that culture of coaching mm-hmm. and development. What, what do you tell that person? I think the best thing for you to do is to find a good mentor. Find somebody that that has gone down the path you're attempting to go down, whether it's inside the organization or outside the organization and spend some time with those people and really understand, because I think what people will find more often than not, the challenges that they're facing are, are not too dissimilar than the challenges that that person in a senior leadership position faced on their journey. And I think it, it provides a level of, confidence and understanding that this is part of the process, right? And I've got to figure out ways to continue to adapt and overcome these challenges through personal development, through having a good mentorship, through through having a good mentor, uh, and being open to being coached, right? I think those are kind of the three things that you really have to focus on to have long-term success. And I, I think people overlook the importance of having somebody uh, that they can one confide in and learn from, uh, that's been down the path that you've been down before. Right. I, th- I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the most in- invaluable tools that you can have in any visit, posi- any position, even me today. Right. Uh, I I've got people in my network that I feel comfortable that I could reach out to and say, this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. How would you handle it? Or have you experienced this? And how did you deal with it? It's mm-hmm. so important. So important. So important. So important. Um, well, you know what? We'll leave it right there. We learned so much. Uh, talked about the importance of sharpening your sword. We talked about deeds, not words. The must must do's and the how to's, and the importance of mentorship. Yeah. Um, ben, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. 
Matt, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and wishing you guys all the best. Awesome. And uh, for everybody out there, if you liked what you heard today, share it with others. Most importantly, uh, subscribe wherever you're consuming this podcast and engage in the comments. Tell us one thing you took away. Tell us something you liked. Tell us something you didn't like. Tell us something you'd like to hear about in the future. We listen. Uh, on behalf of Coach to Scale, it's a pleasure to host this podcast. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them. <laughs>